You know, uh, I always loved uh, getting educated. And Rick Roberts has probably the, uh, the best school for laughter. If you need to learn how to laugh, Rick can help you. He can get you giggling, ha-haing, doing all that stuff where you, uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the School of Last Podcast. Rick Roberts here. Today, I've got an interview with comedian Dale Jones. You can check him out right now if you want dalejonescomic.com. Dale's a guy I've, I've met over the years. Uh, got to work with him maybe two years ago was the last time. We did a little taping for Pure Flicks. Uh, but I always wanted to get him on the podcast. He's super smart, very physical on stage, and undoubtedly probably the funniest person you'll ever see. Like Whenever I watch Dale Jones, I'm, I always think, who in the world could get up on stage after him? He uh, mentally and physically wears you out with his material, and it's, it's something to see. It's, uh, it's, it's organized mayhem, but it's incredible. So I'll talk about some of the places you can see Dale Jones at the end of the podcast, a link to his website so you can see his, his event dates as well. But good interview. We talk about a few different things, including working on the cruise ships, which he does a little bit. He did it a little bit more back in the day about being married to a comedian. He's married to Jody White, who's very funny. Sometimes they do gigs together. Sometimes they do it apart. But they uh, they both have the same profession, and they're married. And it's, I've known only a couple of couples who can do that and pull that off. So we talk about that a little bit. We talk about uh, Last Comic Standing. He was part of uh, Season 6. We talk about the behind-the-scenes of that show and kind of how it all rolls out. The good, the bad, and the ugly, and what he was able to walk away from that experience with, which was some positive stuff. Uh, we'll talk about physical comedy in general, how he is able to sustain the energy on stage, and also how to keep a lot of one-liners organized. I mean, not only is he a physical comic, but a lot of jokes are like 10, 12, 15 seconds, and he's on to the next thing. So we talk about how he's able to keep that organized and make the show work. So lots of great stuff, whether you're a new comic or a comic that's been doing it since 1993 when Dale started. We'll get to that in just a second. Do you want to make sure you know, I don't think I've said this yet, but we're on Spotify now. If Spotify is an app you have on your phone or you listen in the car and you want to check that out, you can get on Spotify. Type in School of Last Podcast and boom, we're going to show up right there. Of course, we're in the Apple Podcast Store or whatever they call that thing now. It used to be iTunes. Who knows? Uh, but we can check us out in all those other spots as well. Uh, maybe one day it'll just go straight to your alarm and you can wake up listening to the School of Last Podcast. That'd be cool. Also, would like to thank our sponsor for this episode through Patreon. It's Darby Slayton. Darby joined Patreon here recently. Thank you for doing that. If you don't know what Patreon is or what sponsoring the podcast looks like, I'll talk about that at the end of the episode. Right now, though, let's jump right into our interview with Dale Jones. Well, how's it going, Dale Jones? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Rick? I'm doing well, man. It's been a little while since we got a chance to do anything together. I guess it was a couple of years ago we did that Pure Flix thing, which was pretty fun. And you had you had some killer sets on that show. Did you feel good about it? Yeah, I did feel good about it. Uh, I like the. Uh, I think I like my first set better. 
they let me do a couple of them. And then, um, then they asked me to do a third one. And I didn't think I had enough to, because I mean, being clean, clean and church clean is two different things, you know? So in my head, I was like, I don't know if I can do another church. <laughs> you know, you just don't want it to go down as you go. You want it to kind of go up, you know? So right. I was like, eh, I'll hang on this one. Yeah. Well, that was a good setup they had there for sure. And it, the video looks stellar, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. They showed, they showed that, uh, I put it on YouTube. So they were showing that clip around and I'm doing a, uh, a TV morning show advertising for the club that week i can't remember where it was they play the clip i'm wearing the same shirt that's in the clip have you had that happen i had that happen so much you know uh not only with that but with my headshot i would wear this the nicest thing i had which is also what i'd usually wear on stage so people on the way out of the club or the way in they're like hey you're wearing the same shirt i'm like oh yeah i guess it's the, <laughs> it's the only one i've got I even made an effort, I think, that my last headshot, just to wear some clothes that I'll never wear again so it looks at least fresh. <laughs> I think I'm just going to start telling people that Iron Man wears the same stuff all the time, too, <laughs> or something like that. Well, you know, I think it, it's kind of brilliant if you do just wear the same thing all the time. Like, I think it's what uh, Zuckerberg, the head of Facebook, does. He's got a blue jeans, a white shirt, and a certain kind of sports coat or a hoodie, and he, he's got 20 of them, but that's all he has to wear so he doesn't have to worry about it's wasting five minutes every day figuring out what to put on. See, I heard that about Einstein. Einstein had the same clothes in his closet, and he never thought and he just put them on and went to whatever he was doing, you know. So I was looking at your schedule, man. You do. Uh, I knew you did some Carnival Cruise Lines and stuff. Um, how often do you do those? And, and tell me, like, your typical gig on there. Because I know some cruises, they do seven days. Some, they split them up and do four and three. What do you do, and what do you like the best? The cruises are hard for me. I only go out with Jody because it's it's so uh, it's like Groundhog Day. It's just the same, you know. And you can't get in the car, and you can't go. I'm such a road dog. I'm used to being able to go out on the road, do stuff, and look at things. And when I'm stuck on a ship, I start feeling like it's prison. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, so I only go out with Jody. Uh, I used to go out a lot, and I've backed down a whole bunch. Um, I go out with Jody. I think I've done maybe four this year, maybe. Uh, maybe five and um but the uh the seven days are nicer because it's they're more expensive it's higher clientele um you get down to around the three days it's a booze cruise right so but the good thing about the three and the four days is you can do two cruises in one week so you get two paychecks gotcha gotcha for those people that don't know jody is your wife but she's a comedian as well yes yeah jody white yes yeah, so do you when you do the cruises, do you both perform, or, or is it just if, if you're going, she's coming along and hanging out? or They always have two comics on each cruise. Mm-hmm. So um, she'll do like the 7.30 show, and I do the 8.30, and she do 9.30, and I do 10.30. That works out great, huh? Right, So and we only do, uh, you do five 30-minute shows in one cruise, and you only need three different shows. I've worked my way up to having uh, four, so I just repeat my family show. Gotcha. And I was curious, just just uh, from watching you the few times I've got to work with you, you have so many one-liners and so many quick-hit bits. How do you organize mentally those different sets? I mean, especially when you hop on a ship and you can't repeat for a couple of shows. You know, how do you string them in order that makes sense to you and that you can memorize them to a degree and, and not repeat stuff? That's the hard part. I spend a lot of time memorizing on there. <laughs> That's the one thing that it's really been a positive for me because, I mean, 
your your memory gets a lot stronger. You end up writing, uh, well, if you got four different shows, so you're writing four different openers, four different closers. I don't fill it in with any crowd work. I just try to all material. That's why I've only got uh, five because I just want the strongest shows I can do. But um, I'm scribbling in a notebook nonstop, and I try to take it from my act in like like chunks, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and try to keep that chunk together with those one liners. But then I've got my other stuff that I jump in and out, you know, and then I'm bringing in my other hour that I used to do a long time ago, and I'm doing that as part of the show. Also, it's a lot of memory. It's a lot of scribbling. There's papers all over the cabin of me just writing stuff down nonstop. I'll go do a show and I'll run back to my cabin and I'll scribble it again. It looks like a beautiful mind in there. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I know sometimes I find myself, as soon as the set's done, I'll write it down to make sure that when I get ready for the next one, I can take a look at what I've already done. Um, I remember the first time I did a cruise, I pretty much just started at my regular starting point and then like 30 minutes in, stopped, and the next show picked it up right there and then, but I realized, like you said, you need to have some stronger openers and closers when you come on the second and third time. So I had to to rewrite it and re kind of bunch different things together. But it just seems like your stuff is so – there's so many pieces. It's just mind-blowing to me that you can get up there and do it. But then I guess the, the positive thing is if you should repeat something, your persona on stage could play that off like, oh, did I say that already? You know, I forgot to take my medicine or something. You can kind of cover it up maybe. Right, right. Now, another thing I do, which I hate doing, but I kind of have to, is I, um, I, uh, I have a DVD that I sell on the uh, ship, and then I will take my uh, set for that show, and I'll slide it in the back cover of the uh, DVD, and I'll set it on the stage in case I get completely lost. But I try. I grew up not having set lists on stage, you know. Um, but, man, sometimes you just get totally stumped because there's just so many different shows. Right. and. Uh, and I'll be in it, but I, man, I, but I'll pride myself that I won't like this last cruise I did. I didn't look at it once. And I was like, Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and I, I will wait till it totally hits the fan before I will look at that. I'll stand there for a minute and I'll ad lib and I'll throw other lines in my head that I know that I have for the show. And I'll just keep going until I find it. Uh, okay. I got it. And then I'll keep going. It really has to hit the fan hard for me to turn around and look at that piece of paper. You know, the good thing about cruises and then we'll, we'll talk at other, other gigs here in a second, but, you know, at least when you're doing a cruise, you've got a professional stage, professional lighting, professional sound. It's, you know, they usually keep it pretty tight schedule-wise. They're not asking you to go to long or anything to cover up for the wait staff. It's, you know, it's a, it's a real production. So, um, you know, there's that benefit to it. And then, of course, you know, people catch you on the cruise. If you get them on your email list or you, you know, they might own a company and have you come out and do a show or whatever, you, you get a lot of exposure in a short amount of time. That's very true. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many um, clubs I work now that I still have people. Like last week, I was in Columbus, and people came up to me, and they came to the show because they saw me on a ship like a year ago. Yeah. Um, so that does help in that aspect. That's great. Yeah, there's a lot of positives out of it. And there's just um, – the other part that makes the job hard, though, is that you're not a, uh event to them. You're just on the calendar. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like when people go to a comedy club, it's planned. They planned it all week. They called their friends. They're into it. We're going to see Rick Roberts. We're going on Friday. We got the first show. We got our tickets. It's going to be awesome. When you're on a ship, they finish watching the production show and they're like, "Well, it's ten o'clock. What do you want to do?" 
Right. I don't know who this guy is, but we'll go down there and see what's going on. <laughs> right. Right. You're you're right before the chocolate buffet at midnight, so why not stay up a little bit? Right. So you get them, you know, and sometimes you'll do a show at 1130 and they've been up since six, you know, so they're either falling asleep or <laughs> it's not the same uh, um, as a comedy club. There's not the excitement there, you know, but the good thing is that, but then the other positive is you build your audience as you go. So the first night you're in front of a whole bunch of people, right? And the second night, the people that love you are the ones that are coming back and telling their friends and word gets around the ship and stuff. So, by the time you're to your third show, I mean, sometimes people will stand up when you walk toward the stage because they're just so excited to see you again. Right. Everything's always building. Like like the first cruise, it's, you know, the first show, they're like, all right, and then they get into you. And then the second, and then by the time the last show, they're like, ah, you know, it's rock star stuff. Yeah. It's so bizarre to go through that buildup every time. It is kind of weird. You know, I did them a while back. I did a Norwegian and Disney and a couple other things. But Norwegian, I would do two weeks back to back on the same itinerary. So the what was weird to me is like the second week, I would start thinking I was seeing people that I saw on the boat the first week. Like, because there's just so many, there's only so many facial types and body types and people types. Like you just see, was that dude on last week? No, I was on last week and I'm getting a little stir crazy out here, you know? <laughs> There's also people that are, uh, they just stay on and they're like diamond, uh, cruisers or something. And they just, they pretty much live on the ship and they just go constantly on this same thing. Yeah. And it's usually, uh, people in their seventies or eighties and they only come to the family show and then they will come up and give you a critique on your act because they've been on the ship for so long. I think it's, it's cute and it's hilarious at the same time. And I just stand there and shake their hand and go, okay, well, thank you. I'm glad. You know, yeah. they walk up and go, well, you know what's good about your act? I go, no, I've only been doing this 25 years. <laughs> I've been waiting waiting for you to show up and tell me because I'll keep every night and banging my head against the wall. <laughs> right? It's like, dang it, the punchline's at the end. Oh, who <laughs> <Yeah>. knew? <laughs> it is weird. I, I did meet some people like that too, older people, and instead of getting a condo in Florida for the winter time, they found out that it would cost the same or even less just to hop on a cruise ship and not have to make a bed or mow a yard or do anything. Yeah. And I guess eventually they just start getting free stuff. Like I guess it just turns into free cruises. So I don't know if they, if they become ocean squatters. I don't know what you would call that. The one that uh, they also, the other thing I loved about the road more is I could work on one joke though all week long. You know, you can work on a joke seven times or five times. And get right. it down. And when you're doing, and when you're doing five, diff, four different shows, you can only work on that joke maybe twice. Right. And uh, so I didn't. I don't feel like I'm as productive on the. Uh, I, I'm, I can't get enough feedback to where I'm productive enough. You know, like I go on the road, and if I work really hard on the road, I can, I can have two to three minutes every week. That's kind of new. You know. That's right. If I'm really cranking it, yeah. yeah. If I'm really cranking it, I got to be. I mean, on it like every night. Just, Going, okay, that line works, that line works, and I put that together, you know. Is there like a certain point in your act where you try to do the new stuff, like up front, so you don't forget it, or in the middle once they've warmed up? I try to, I, I write my set out every night, and uh, I try to figure out, I circle the new jokes, and I put stars on the stuff I want to add in, and um, I'll try to put it to where I think it should go, mm-hmm. but it usually gets moved around. Um Sometimes I just end up throwing it out there and I don't know where I'm, I'm going to throw it. Right. And, uh, 
but I record all my sets on my phone. And then that way I can hear what the response was because I was always horrible at it going, uh, Oh, Oh, it worked. What'd I say? <laughs> so I constantly put all my sets on my phone. I don't listen to the whole set, but I will pick and choose, you know, scribble that all down. Yeah. Do, um, I was wondering this too about you. Do people expect you to be as physical off stage as they do when they see you on stage? Is there like a moment where you're talking to them and you you can notice they're waiting for you to like freak out a little bit? Yeah, they. Uh, I get a lot of uh, wow, you're very normal. <laughs> 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 and I look at them, I go, well, I, I'd be in jail. I can't be. Nobody wants to talk to me if I'm running around here bouncing around like that Duck for twenty minutes. That's ridiculous. Yeah. How do you, how do you pace yourself? Do you, I mean, it looks like you kind of work out a little bit to keep yourself in shape, but is there, is there more to it than that to, to do as physical comedy as you do night in and night out? Uh, there for a long time, I did yoga. I would do 20 to 30 minutes yoga every night before the show. I need to start doing that again. Um, cause I find myself soaking in the tub more as I get older. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm exactly the same way. It's so funny. I sat down with, you know, Greg Hahn. Yeah. I sat down with Greg Hahn one night. This was three, four years ago. We sat in a bar and we were talking about, we were like two old men just talking about where our physical pains hurt and what we did and what it hurt. Yeah. It was so funny. He's like, I snapped my finger and my shoulder hurts. And I go, man, my, my hip is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to where I got a thing with Planet Fitness and they had these um, massage machines that you can lay on, like a bed, and I would go work out uh, at least every other day. And then I go lay on that massage table thing and let that rollers or whatever. And that seemed to help me a lot. Yeah. Were you gravitated towards physical comics when you were young before you knew comedy would be a job for you? Yeah. I, well, I love Looney Tunes. That was probably my first influence. And then, um, Abbott Costello and watching Jerry Lewis and Buster Keaton and Laurel and Hardy, all those, those were all like on Saturday afternoon, like at two o'clock. Yeah, the Abbott Costello was a huge, huge one. And obviously Jerry Lewis. And uh, so, yeah, I felt. But when I first started doing stand-up, I didn't do any of that. I stood on stage and acted like the cool guy because I thought that's what I was supposed to be. Like a Dennis Miller, smart, some kind of smart redneckers. I thought one of my buddies come up and he goes, what are you doing? He goes, you're, you're an idiot running around here in the apartment. Why aren't you doing that on stage? <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? Somebody else had to tell you. Yeah, so I sat down, I took a writing class, and I just threw away everything I had that was, it was bombing anyway, and I just started over, and I came up with this uh, toy monkey impression. It, yeah. it just went from there, and then that's when I realized I wanted more physical stuff, and then everything I wrote was, but then it was way too physical, like all the punchlines were physical. So I go to do radio, and the DJ's like, this is great, nobody listening knows what's going on. <laughs> That's a that's a good point, you know, when you've got the the visual stuff, that's what, you know, magicians have problems with that when they go do radio or ventriloquist or whatever. So I assume you just have some jokes you know is going that that'll work great on the air that are written really well. Right. So then I started gravitating to Rodney Dangerfield and Stephen Wright, stuff like that, to where I could write uh quick one-liners like Dangerfield that have the the goofy and the weirdness, you know, like Stephen Wright and then add the physical at the end to accentuate the, the punchline. And you're one of the few guys I think that has, has both the, the high energy physical with the high level smart joke as well. Like 
But you're saying smart stuff really fast and you're physical. So if somebody's just looking at the exterior, they're like, oh, he's just jumping around like a monkey. They're missing it. Uh, most of your material, they could hear and, and the punchline is strong enough without the, the visual. The visual is just like an extra uh, sauce on top of it. But, you know, there's not a lot. Of, you know, Greg Hahn's a good example, too. You two guys I always think of kind of in a similar vein as being very physical and smart and quick. But um, but there's not too many like that. I mean, you two are the only two I can think of that have that combination. Oh, thank you. That's very cool. That's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to do uh, smart comedy and look like a moron. I thought that would be a very uh, – and then sometimes I switch it. Sometimes I'll try to just stand still and just do the joke and not do any physical at all and see how strong it goes across. Mm-hmm. I found that sometimes it's uh, stronger because I feel like some, and so it makes me – Put the physical stuff in a like it like the physical's taking away their attention. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean I can see where it could be distracting. Uh, and every once in a while you want to fly the joke out there and see if it works on its own for sure. Right. So then I've gotten to where I'll pick and choose, and I'll go, okay, for this one I'll stand still, and then for this one I'll go, you know, ape, and uh, and try to mix it up. And is there kind of a flow to your set to where, you know, it's demanding on audiences and of audiences to to be a participant in what you do on stage. I'm assuming that just when you get a little physically tired and need to take a breath, you do that on stage and that gives the audience a chance to, or do you, do you have specific things outside of that where they can kind of take a breather and catch up for a second? I started doing these history jokes mm-hmm. where I say, I compare me to like Martin Luther King, or I compare me to uh, Abraham Lincoln. So I'll say something that they actually do. And then something stupid that I did. And that always seems to, uh, it slows it down, but it's still smart. And uh, and that gives them a little bit of a break. And I've been throwing in like six of those throughout that. And so I'll get them on a whole run where it's just bam, 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 bam. And then I'll go, here's the main difference between B and Anne Frank. And I'll get a <laughs> laugh on that. But then it gives them time to chill out because then I got to do an explanation and then do an Anne Frank, you know, or uh, or Helen Keller or Abraham Lincoln, you know. And then, and then I, I've ended up, I found I can insert like real stories from my life. Mm-hmm. Still punch, 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 but um, but that seems to slow it down just a tad. It gives them a sort of a break. I'm probably not giving them a break at all. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, I mean, at least you give them the the focus on the the same topic for a, a longer period of time when you're doing a bit of a story. You know, even though the punchlines are coming at them hard, it's it's not having to reset the premise every ten seconds. You know. Right, right. I started telling the crowds that too. If you, if you don't like this joke, I'll be on another total different subject in 37 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> of all the, all the places that you perform, where, where do you feel the most comfortable? Where do, where do you just know I'm going to go in? It could be a specific club or just a type of gig, but where, what do you look forward to on your schedule every year? I really like, I, like, I love the Comedy Magic Club out in LA at uh, Hermosa Beach. Mm-hmm. That one's so much fun. I just have a blast there. And, um, and the crowds are amazing. And they have like a two-drink maximum. That's all they do. They won't do any late shows. They just they just want the, It's just a complete theater thing, you know. Right. That one's a lot of fun. I really like McCurdy's in Sarasota. That's a great club. That's the one. Well, that's also, that one's close to my heart because that's where I met Jody. We ended up getting married there. I've known the owners forever. Oh, the Syracuse Funny Bone. I really love that room, too. Is it kind of the setup there that makes it good or the people or both it's both it's both i've been working a lot of funny bones this past two years and the the setups have been amazing 
the, the funny bone slash I just did the Denver improv. That was, that was a great week. I can't wait to go back there. They were, uh, awesome. And I hadn't worked Denver since, uh, wit's end. You remember working wit's end years ago? I did, you know, so long ago that it took me forever to kind of get on the radar there. I did a set. He booked me for a week and then it was closed. <laughs> I am seed there and then worked my way up to feature and headliner. I was driving from Nashville all the way to Denver. <laughs> oh, wow. To do MC work. It was ridiculous. I mean, that's how I got on the road so fast. By 95, they were still hiring MCs on the road. And uh, I just paid everything off and asked mom if I could keep myself at the house. And I took off. I thought I was the richest student in the world. I'm making 250 bucks a week. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> it is funny. And that is a good point. There's not a lot of MCs from out of town anywhere anymore. And that used to be where you kind of. A, got your foot in the door for sure, but B, it's where you'd meet other comics who would hook you up with other bookers and other clubs if they liked you. And, right. and, and you know, I remember just working on my set driving, you know, because you had all that time to kill. I would go through it really fast. I would go through it really slow. I would sometimes, like, do my whole act and scream it, and then I would do my whole act and whisper it just so I could kind of get the memorization done with without it being so monotonous, you know, those road miles, man. And I remember... I remember, so I started in Columbus, Ohio, and I got a, an MC week in Davenport, Iowa. And okay. I drove out there, did the week, you know, did the show Sunday night. Monday, drove all the way back home to Columbus. As I'm pulling in my driveway in Columbus, Lisa Young, who was booking the club there, called me up. She goes, what are you doing this week? I'm like, I'm off this week. She's like, oh, we had a fallout. You want to you do another week with us? I'm like... Yeah, I'll right back in the car and drive all the way back across, and I'm there for the second week. But I didn't mind. Like to me, it was it was part of it, you know, getting your your chops tight and getting your network going and all that stuff. But there's not that opportunity for a lot of people now that are are starting out unless they get in with their home club. And if you don't get in with that home club, you're it's going to be a tough road to hoe. Yes, it is a tough road to hoe because the home club's the one that'll uh, start calling. I had the my home club started calling other clubs and going, Hey, why don't you try him? You know, why don't you give him a shot? Did you, where did you start at in Nashville? Or where I started at Zanies. Yeah. I started at Zanies in Nashville, uh, January 12th, 93. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, it was a Tuesday. It was when they did open mics on Tuesdays and I was number 22 out of 22. <laughs> and, uh, I got one laugh because I said, well, I F that up. Because <laughs> I didn't joke too fast. <laughs> and, uh, and the whole room exploded. And that was the one laugh I got. I ran off stage and I hooked a complete stranger and went, that was great. And they looked at me like I was an alien. They're like, you just bombed horribly. I go, I'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a threat. <laughs> right? Like, lock the doors. <laughs> That's great, man. Did you, um, you know, I wanted to ask you, you almost forgot. So a while back, uh, when Last Comic Standing was on the air, you were, was it season five or six? You were. I was on six. six. Yeah, I was on season six. Well, just from, you know, we've both done it for almost the same amount of time, and there's a million things that come up that are promising, but after a certain amount of time, you realize there's like, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, and, and the gig isn't always what it seems like, and but that's still a great opportunity. How do you, like, gear up for that, but also just try to relax and have fun for a competition like that. It got, it gets, 
I'm high strung anyway, so it was a it was a basket case thing for me. And then they they messed with you constantly. I mean, they had to sign contracts that said they could lie to us, and they did. And they would tell us we couldn't do certain jokes when actually we could. And um, and then they would uh, because they're they're casting a show, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, they've got their people picked already. Right. I, the only reason I got as far as I did is because I had such a great set. At Nashville, if they hadn't have taken me, it would have caused problems. Right. And I'm not saying that for my own thing. That's the truth, because they had Taylor Mason pick the go. And uh, after the show, they said, uh, well, we, we had a tie tonight, and uh, we're not sure who's going to go to the semifinals yet. And then when it came out, then they said, we'll let you guys know. So they had picked all of us, but they didn't know. You know, and it was down to – and they, they – edited Taylor completely out of the uh, show and did show him passing and going through, which I thought was horrible. He didn't feed us. We got to Vegas and we sat with our luggage in a, in a banquet room for about three to four hours and they had cameras running. So they didn't, they gave us like power bars and stuff like that and sugar and stuff to keep you, you know, so people were like, can we go to our rooms and just put our luggage away? No, not yet. You know, it was a lot of mind stuff and 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 then the point to where it gets fun is you get to the point you just don't you don't care anymore you know you're like okay this is ridiculous i've got my set down and it just gets it got to the point i just could stop laughing it was just that ridiculous and i was like okay i'm just gonna do this i mean i know what i'm doing i know how to do this they're just because then they would take us and they took us down and they put us in clothes that we would never wear you know and then they you go, okay, we're put these dress shoes on and this sweater. And I go, I would never, ever wear this in a million years. Well, we want you to look nice. I'd be like, this isn't what I do, right? But then you see the people that they pick to go through, they all got to wear their regular stuff. And I'm like, this is crazy. Right, right. But, but then the positive out of it is I got a manager. My money doubled. I got to work a bunch of, a bunch of clubs. It, it got my foot in the door of a lot of things. Um. So it was a crazy thing to go through, but I got out of it what I needed to get to push me forward, you know. And I know, I mean, I'm sitting there saying this stuff, and people are listening and going, I know there's a million guys behind me going, I'd do it hardly. And, and, you know, I'd do it again. I'd go through the whole thing again. That's I don't funny. know, but I got out of it what I needed, and uh, and I met a lot of great people. I mean, I was on the show with Jeff Guy. I'm still good friends with him, and he's kicking butt. So he got what he needed to. He got third. Yeah, it helped, uh, it helped a lot of people. I'm going to look at your i got your website up here you've got some dates coming up and i know we've got listeners in some of these cities you got coming up so january 3rd to the 6th i see you're at the stardome in birmingham great club i see tell me about this two guys named chris theater show that's going on that's in winston-salem and greensboro north carolina and i don't have all the details on it yet two guys named chris is the uh radio uh show in town there and they've got a big following um and it's the uh, Greensboro Comedy Zone area is where it's at. So they pick uh, three comics, and they do a big theater show every year. Uh, last year, uh, Spanky Brown did it, and Jody White, and um, Dave Landau. So they had those three comics. And they did one night in a big theater, and then they went over to Winston-Salem and did it again. Gotcha. So that'll be uh, those two nights. And what I didn't add on... I haven't got that on the website yet, but the Wednesday before that, I'm going to be at the uh, Charlotte Comedy Zone. Okay, so 
that would be the 6th of February at the Charlotte Comedy Zone, then the 8th in Greensboro, North Carolina, the 9th in Winston-Salem. And then for Valentine's weekend, you're at the Comedy Catch in Chattanooga, February 14th through the 17th. I think Jody's going to hang out with me on that one. I don't know if she's going to work, but she's going to hang out. With me. Then there's other dates. Uh, March, he'll be at Stand Up Live in Huntsville and Side Splitters in Tampa in April. So depending on when folks listen to this, they can check your website out, which is DaleJonesComic.com. Right, exactly. I forgot another club that I really like, and I've only worked it once, is uh, the, the one you mentioned, Stand Up Live in Huntsville, Alabama. Mm-hmm. That's a great room. That's a really good room. I really like it there a lot. Yeah, it seems like they did everything right when they put that room together, and that was definitely a town that was ready for uh, their own club. You know, they had had some stuff way back in the day, but nothing ever st- stuck around. But Exactly, yeah, and they're all rocket scientists, so they're really smart. So when you're up there going, hey, I'm not doing rocket science here, they're looking at you going, well, you, of course you're not. <laughs> Thanks, Dale, man. That was great. All right, I'll talk to you soon, man. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Dale Jones. As I told you, very insightful guy, uh, very thoughtful. I enjoyed talking to him. That may have been the longest we got to hang out and talk in uh, a decade, so it was always good just catching up with a friend in comedy. But, man, good insight there. Maybe you're a physical comic out there looking on ways you can keep your stuff organized. Hopefully some of those tips helped out. And also some good insight uh, to the TV show, Last Comic Standing, and working on cruise ships. Very cool. Again, you can find us on Spotify. Thanks to Darby Slayton for supporting the podcast through Patreon. Basically, um, the podcast... It's a lot of work, and people who support it through Patreon get a few bonuses for keeping this podcast going. Uh, Darby's at the level where he is, the $10 level, where $10 a month he pitches in to support the podcast, and in return for that, he gets to join us on a quarterly Zoom hangout, a video chat where he can get questions answered specifically from me and the other comedians who are from all different levels and walks of life on that uh, Zoom call. He also is now in Club 52, which is a weekly email that gives you one specific thing you can do to target your comedy career and get better at it. I purposely made them bite-sized chunks, something you can accomplish in one week, and there's 52 of them. So each week there's a new thing that pops in your inbox, gets you going. A great way to start the year is to jump on Club 52 through Patreon. You can do that at schooloflast.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or just go to our website, schooloflast.com. You'll see the Patreon link in different places. Uh, But you can pledge as as little as a dollar if you want. But at $7 or more a month, you do get involved with Club 52. And you get those Zoom Hangouts and a few other perks as well. So check that out. Other than that, uh, if you're in the Nashville area, I do have comedy classes coming up in Nashville. It's been since June since I've had enough time to put a class together. I never want to run a class and and be distracted by gigs, and January is just typically a little slower traveling, so I've got some Mondays that I'll be around. We're running the classes on January 7, 14, and 21. The class is all three of those dates. Each class you get about a third of the information, and the course cost is $200. You can log on to schooloflast.com and check out more information about that on the comedy classes link. If it sounds good to you right now, you're ready to go, shoot me an email, schooloflast.com at gmail.com and in the subject line put ready for january class and i'll send you more information all right that was good stuff dale jones don't forget to go to dalejonescomic.com and check out all of his links where he's going to be performing and you can download his downloadable dvd right on there for just ten dollars trust me it's money well spent you guys have a great holiday season 
At the top of the year in January, January 1st, our podcast will be all about setting goals. You'll get the annual goal worksheet that uh, lays it all out there. You can highlight goals you want to focus on and then stick that thing next to your desk or next to your uh, bed and look at it every day and get your goals accomplished. We'll recap some of the goals from last year and I'll talk to a few other comics about what they're setting up for 2019. Thanks again. God bless y'all. Have a good holiday. Stay safe. Stay funny. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.